If you will, remain standing. Our scripture reading this morning will be Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your feet against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and you will worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. Please be seated. Good morning. Good morning. All right, it's good to see you all. I'm so pleased that you're here. Now this, there, there should be one of these in the pew in front of you, or at least in front of most of you, these hymnals. And if you would, just mark number 883. Uh, we're going to sing that song near the end of the message today. So that's 883. So you can find it right now if you want. Hope that you're all doing well and that you're not like, uh, you know, too much on that Easter candy sugar letdown. Hope, I hope that your morning's going okay. Uh, very excited to share this scripture today, and I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 4 so that you can find it in your Bible uh, or in the, in the app on your phone, find Matthew chapter 4, and we'll read this together again, the scripture that was just read, and we'll uh, teach out of it this morning. But for me today, this is a little unusual, uh, but this is a two Bible Sunday, all right? This sermon is going to take two Bibles to preach. That's how it's going to work. You can, it's okay, you can laugh at that. I'm not really going to preach like two sermons, right? Just use these two Bibles. So I know, yeah, it's, it's okay. I still love you guys. So <clears throat> this Bible, now this Bible right here, this is an interesting Bible. Uh, and here's its part in the sermon. By the way, Ed, you're in my orbit too. Okay, I appreciated your communion talk and you're in my orbit. You've been an influencer in my life. I looked right over there and I saw you. This Bible right here, this is an old Bible, and um, I don't use it often, but I keep it. And let me just read you a little bit of Matthew chapter 4 out of this old Bible that is falling apart and the binding is coming loose and everything, okay? Matthew chapter 4, uh, let me read verse 2 because this is an interesting one. Uh, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. See, this is the King James Version. There's lots of these and there's lots of thous and lots of extra ofs. And Jesus was and hungered, which is King James E's for saying he, he was hangry, right? <laughs> Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And so why would I even have this Bible or keep this Bible? Uh, most of the English in here, I don't understand. I don't use it. I don't talk like this. I don't read like this. When I read out of one of these, it's nothing wrong with the King James. It's a perfectly fine Bible, but I don't really get a whole lot out of it. So I've got an app in my app. You know, I've got my Bible, 
I've got an app that actually has several thousand books in it for studying the Bible from Logos Bible Software. So, you know, why lug a big heavy book around at all? I don't preach with a Bible this size because it wears my arm out, right? I prefer this. It doesn't make me as tired. And reading these old words wears my brain out. So there's just like, there's not a lot of good reasons why would I even keep this, right? And why maintain the bookshelves to keep a book like this? Well, this Bible was my grandfather's, uh, Jack. And so, in this Bible, I didn't even, okay, this wasn't part of the message. I didn't actually know this was in here. I just discovered something new, handwritten note of my grandfather's. That's pretty cool. All right. there's, but there's a lot of things in here that I've discovered. And in, uh, <clears throat> that's funny, I did not know that was there. Matthew chapter 4 uh, here, there is, verse 17 is, is highlighted in green. And so verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, right, and that, that verse is not highlighted in my Bible because I haven't yet decided to highlight that one. It's highlighted, he chose to highlight this. It tells me something about my grandfather. And in front of it and after it, he had wrote some annotations and he put Acts 2.5 and Isaiah 2.2. And I don't even know what those verses are. I don't even know what those verses link to or what he was preparing when he wrote those in here. But for some reason, at one point in time, my grandfather thought that those verses went with this verse. And so when I open this up, it's not just an old Bible to me. And it's not just an old book to me. It's like I discover or rediscover the person of my grandfather in this book that he wrote in and used as he studied and preached and did all the things that he did. And there's so many things in the world that are like this, that matter more to us because of who they belonged to and not just because of what they are and, and because of who gave them to us. Like, I don't really love this particular book a lot. I love my grandfather a lot. And because I love my grandfather who's gone on ahead to his reward, I, I love this book that he carried. And yesterday, Jenna and I had this day to spend out of doors and we had mostly an electronic free day. It, it was supposed to be stormy and windy, and it turned out to be really beautiful. And so we made it to Farmer's Market and went with the dog and to a bunch of garage sales and then on a little hike at Tanyard Creek in Bella Vista to see the waterfall. And that was beautiful, and we were enjoying seeing all of God's creation. And by the evening, we even got to hit some golf balls, and we had a little bonfire out back of our house. I mean, we packed the day full of activities and had this great day together. But I loved it more because I loved Jenna and I loved being with her and that was special. And Jenna and I enjoyed the day because it wasn't just a day where we got to see beautiful things like a waterfall, but where we know that the creator of all things, Jesus Christ, who at the bidding of God the Father, it says in Colossians and Hebrews, created everything that exists and he sustains it still by his powerful word. That Jesus the one that we talked about last week who was dead and buried and gone in the tomb and now he's raised back to life. That Jesus made the waterfall in Bella Vista. He planned it from before the beginning of time to be this beautiful sight that we would see. And so I receive it not just as a beautiful thing, which it is, but as a loving gift from the hand of my friend and my Lord who's still alive and has hope for me in eternity, which means it carries all kinds of weight. And you know what I ate last night, church? You know what I ate last night? A s'more. <laughs> oh, the glory of God condescended into <laughs> earthly food. 
You know that Jesus, when he was making things new, that humanity could make marshmallows and chocolate and graham crackers and that somebody would use their God-given powers to put them together into the ultimate melty hot snack. And I eat that thing and Jenna looks at me and goes, wipe that marshmallow off your chin and I did. And I'm just sitting there thinking, Jesus invented this. Isn't that good? Amen, church? Amen. So last week we talked about the empty tomb, but this week we want to talk about one of the implications of it. Since he's risen and he's Lord and he's living, what does it change about our world? And on the back of your bulletins, you'll see that today's message is titled Empty Promises. So I hope you'll flip over there and you're ready to take some notes because I want you to write a couple of words down this morning as we get started. I want you to see that title, Empty Promises, and you know, just take note of that or circle it, highlight it, just notice that that's there. And next to it, I want you to write this word in. I want you to write the word satisfaction, okay? Satisfaction. I want you to write that down. In fact, I think I have that on the slide right here. I do. Satisfaction. I want you to write that word down. Because I take greater satisfaction in this Bible since it belonged to my grandfather. I take greater satisfaction in the in the waterfall because it was made by my loving Savior. And the enemy who we encounter in this text today, he goes by several names and we'll talk about that as we go, but the enemy in whatever form he may come to you, whether uh, hopefully you don't see him appear in front of you as Satan, if so, we have some people you can talk to, right? If you're seeing a red horn guy with a pitchfork, like come, you know, let's talk afterwards. But mostly he usually comes in other forms more hidden, okay? Like we fall in love with things of the world that we think will satisfy us things that we think will fill us, but we've separated them from their creator and their root. So let's look at this scripture together this morning, looking for satisfaction. And I want to give you the three words that I'm going to preach through this morning, okay, three ways that the devil or Satan tries to tempt Jesus. And there are sustenance, safety, okay, sustenance like food, safety, and splendor, as in like wealth and luxury. And I was really proud of myself for coming up with all of these words that started with the letter S. It's alliteration. They teach you that in preaching school, okay? So I know it doesn't matter at all to you, but I'm very satisfied with that. <laughs> Made me feel good. Okay, here we go. Satisfaction. This is a quote from Miroslav Volf. He's a Christian philosopher. And Volf, talking about us being satisfied in the world, says attachment to God amplifies and deepens enjoyment in the world. Okay, so let's think about this, and then we're going to read from Jesus. Attachment to God amplifies and deepens enjoyment of the world. Means, just what I was telling you, because I have this personal relationship with a living Savior, I appreciate the things he made, and I receive them as a gift from him. It actually makes me able to enjoy the waterfall more than I could otherwise. Because the ways that the world typically has dealt with satisfaction in life is to either say you need to be detached Detached meaning you can't hold on to things. You're going to die. All this is going to be gone. It's all going to melt in the eventual uh, you know, burning out of the universe. Everything will be gone. Memories will be gone. History will be gone. Waterfalls will be gone. And so you really can't hold on to it forever. And you look at the waterfall, and now you're just ready to cry because you can't keep it forever, right? Becoming detached. Uh, Buddha taught this way. You know, you can't hold on to life. You've got to kind of like get out into the spiritual place where there's no pain, there's no love, there's nothing really except for just this pure being. 
Even some churches a few decades ago used to teach this kind almost, like don't play cards, right? We wouldn't want you to have fun like that and get too. And so like detaching from things. Now the other way that philosophy or the secular world might try to get us to be satisfied is by attaching too much. And this is probably the most common right now. So just attaching too much means just diving into whatever thing you think will make you happy and just you know, drinking more of it, keeping more of it for yourself, hoarding more money for yourself, just smoking whatever you want, smoking things that people have never smoked before just to be the first one to do it. You know, just Not just enjoying a s'more, but enjoying way too many s'mores and getting you know, sugar problems and all that and just going way overboard with attachments. Okay, Well, that doesn't really work in the long run either, does it? We get sick, we get sick and tired, we get fed up with ourselves, we have compulsions and addictions and they drive us crazy. So, Wolf would say, attachment to God amplifies and deepens our enjoyment of the world. We can actually find satisfaction because we put God in the right order. Let's see how Jesus and the devil punch it out in the desert, shall we? Are you ready? Okay. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. You notice what happens here, who Jesus is led by? This isn't an accident. Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism. The Holy Spirit had descended on him like a dove. The voice from heaven says, Behold my son, I'm well pleased with him. And the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. He's not wandering and runs into the devil at a crossroads. God had a plan here. A plan to take Jesus through a set of circumstances, a set of tests, so that you and I would have something to look to when we're answering the same kind of questions. And all of these questions have to do with finding satisfaction in life. So this is the Holy Spirit's idea. It's the Father in heaven's plan. It's Jesus' obedience. It's not an accident. And he was led out there to be tempted by the devil. I want you to circle or underline the word tempted or write it in your bulletin or whatever, but in your Bibles, make sure you take note of this word. We're going to come back to it in a minute. It's a very important word here. Okay. And look at who the enemy is. The devil, right? You know him by a variety of names like the devil and Satan. And some people call him Lucifer, although that just comes from a poem from the Middle Ages. That's not actually his name anywhere in the Bible. And other people call him other things, but here he's called the devil. And do you know what that word means? It means the slanderer. Okay, so he's going to get called three different things in this passage, but the first one is the slanderer. And he's going to be slinging some slander about Jesus. And, and we'll see it come up several times, but he's going to say, you're not who you think you are. Okay, so the first one, the devil, the slanderer, is going to tell Jesus to have real satisfaction. God needs to provide sustenance. Okay, sustenance. Read it with me, verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love how plain and straightforward this passage of Scripture is. And even though my old King James Version said he was and hungered, right, we know what it would be like because after about 40 minutes, like after a Sunday morning of preaching, I'm hungry. Uh, after about four hours, any day of the week, you're ready for a meal, right? After about four days of backpacking in the wilderness, you're like, get me some real food, right? After 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. No way, man, right? Yes, he was. And so the tempter, this is the second thing he's called. The tempter, this is the devil, the slanderer, now he's the tempter, came to him and he said, if, mark that word, 
Circle that word. Highlight it. Whatever you got to do. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Do you see the slander? If you are who you say you are. If you're a child of God. If you think you're loved by God. If God really cares for you. He wouldn't mind so much that you use your power for just a little bit of selfish reasons right here. You'd feel so much better. This is the devil comes right in. Okay, he is not pulling punches, he's just whack, right? Right in the face, with a, just with a punch, right to the face. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. I love it. Jesus doesn't pull punches either, does he? Can you feel it in the text? Can you feel the tension between the words? The devil's like, this will put him down, pow! Jesus is just like, no, the Bible says, pow! Right, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is receiving an empty promise from the devil. An empty promise. If you could just eat to your full, you'd be satisfied. Okay? If you just had enough to eat, if you just had enough to drink, if you just had enough money in the bank to get by, if you just had enough sustenance, then finally your life would be satisfied and full of meaning. And Jesus just goes, it is written, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know why this is so amazing? Church, you know why this is so amazing? Jesus quotes scripture and he's Jesus. John, in John chapter 1, we'll call him the Word of God, okay? He is the living, breathing Word of God. Do you know who it was that inspired the Scriptures to be written behind the scenes in the spiritual realm? It was Jesus. Remember, he created all things and he sustains them by his powerful Word. If ever there was a person in the history of humankind who had the right to say to the devil, I got a word for you, because every word he speaks is scripture when it comes out of his mouth. But no, Jesus quotes scripture to the devil instead of just answering him directly. Because Jesus knows, and you need to know, the resources for you are already found in scripture. They're already there. And this is kind of a bonus, a little aside this morning. This isn't the main point, but it's something I want to say. Wherever you're at in your Christian walk, if you haven't gotten to a place yet where you're reading big chunks of Scripture and taking the Scripture in over the course of a year and really like getting through a whole book, like reading the whole book of Romans, reading the whole book of John or whatever, please start. Don't wait anymore. Okay, don't wait any longer. Because it's so important that you're taking in these big chunks of Scripture and getting the, the broad story of Scripture in your mind and your hearts and in front of your eyes and on your lips because it's so much more than just having a favorite verse or a memory verse. You want to know, like for instance, you want to read this and you want to be seeing if you're the Son of God. Huh, that's the same kind of strategy the devil used in the Garden of Eden when he looks at Eve and he goes, is what God said really true? Did he not really say this? Satan's good at misquoting God. But until you start reading these big chunks of Scripture, you may not be able to connect and see these things. So please, like Jesus is the Word. He could speak Scripture. He's the Son of God. He doesn't need this if. It doesn't bother him. He could knock the devil down by quoting him. But he chooses to quote Scripture because he knows that that's where your life source and your answers are going to be. And he learns to put first things 
first and keep them in the right order in life. So if you don't have a plan, version has one for you. The Bible Project has one for you. Email me. I can send you a plan by Robert and Shane that has, it'll get you through the whole Bible in a year. Okay, these great plans that are out there. Our sustenance, Jesus says, is not bread first. It is God's words of life. And bread will come after. The second one is safety. Safety. The devil's like, that didn't work. Let's come back to Point number two, like, let me try number two, safety. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city. It's Jerusalem. And he had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And I want you to mark or remember that word temple. It's hugely important. The Jews had a couple of special gifts given to them by God. One was the temple where they worshiped. It's where they met God. It's where the sacrifices took place, where they received forgiveness of their sins, where the the Holy Spirit of God flooded the temple with his presence when Solomon prayed over it. And that one had been wiped down and a new one built, but it was still, it was their corner of the world and it was where God lived with them. They had the temple. And so the devil takes Jesus up onto this high point of the temple and look what he says. He goes, if you are the son of God. We already heard this, right? Satan tries it again. He's like, maybe he didn't hear me the first time. See, a lot of preachers do this with their jokes too. See, a lot of preachers do this with their jokes too. Maybe they didn't hear me the first time. He goes, if you're the son of God, he's just going to keep digging and digging at this identity issue. If you're the son of God, then God should love you. He'll protect you. He says, throw yourself down for it is written. What just happened there? The devil goes, Jesus won argument one. Jesus won round one by quoting scripture. Do you know what I'll do in round two? I'll quote scripture. And he quotes a great scripture. He said, it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. It's Psalm 91. And the devil was so into showing off right there, I bet you he even said that. I bet you he was like, Psalm 91. Quoted a chapter and verse right at him. Psalm 91 is a beautiful psalm. You ought to go read it. I'm serious. Go read it today. It is a psalm of God as our refuge. God is our safety. God will protect us. He will care for his people. It is a wonderful psalm. But here's what the devil, the devil's like. If I just quote this one verse at him out of context, because it's just a great verse about safety, then I'll have him. And Jesus answered him. Jesus goes, look at this beautiful. It is also written. Do you know what Jesus did in that moment right there? Jesus taught us that you cannot have a favorite Bible verse that you go to for every answer in the world and ignore the rest of Scripture. You cannot pick one verse about a subject and say you have all the information about that subject. Because Satan picks a really good scripture about safety and Jesus goes, yeah, but you need to know the whole scope of scripture. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus says, I can't violate that scripture to take the one that looks like it would benefit me in the moment. If I'm the son of God, you're saying that because God may not protect me or whatever, that I'm not really his son. And you know what makes me the son of God? That I don't test him like that. That I actually have a relationship with God where I love him enough. 
I'm putting God in the first place of my life. And safety is important, but it's right behind God. Just like sustenance is right behind God. So I wouldn't abuse my relationship with God the Father to use his power to make food for me. I'm going to rely on God. And I'm not going to abuse his name or make fun of him by testing him just to do magic tricks for you. I'm not going to jump off the temple like it's some kind of parlor trick to appease you, Satan. I will not use his power that way. I love him too much. Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6 here. and He says, He says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You remember when I had you mark the word temptation earlier? This is the same word. It's the same word, test or temptation. Here's why it's important. Jesus quotes scripture that says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And that's exactly what Satan is doing at this moment. He's got the Lord, Jesus. His God who made him in the desert, cornered in, and he's putting him to the test. And Jesus says, although you will do that to me, I will not do that to my father. I will not put him to the test. The third one, splendor, luxury, wealth, call it what you want, but splendor. Satan's last left hook. He comes in quick with this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. There you have it. All this I will give you, he said. And look at where the word if is in the third challenge. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. The empty promises of Satan. The empty promises that says, I have control over all this. I'll give you wealth. Your bank account is going to be overflowing. You're going to have this great health insurance plan. You're going to have 3% body fat and be such a great runner. And, you know, every time you go play softball, you'll hit home runs, you know, just like A.J. McCoy. And you're going to have all your dreams, Josh Bundy, everything you've always wanted. And Satan looks right at the devil. Or Jesus looks right at Satan, right at the devil. And he said to him this, Away from me, Satan. And this is where he's finally called Satan. I've been calling him this the whole sermon, but this is where Jesus finally calls him Satan. And you know what Satan means? It means the adversary. So Jesus knows that he is a slanderer, he's lying about his identity. He's a, he's a trickster and all of that, but he's a tempter. And now he's the adversary. He says, away from me, opponent, away from me, enemy, away from me, adversary, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. You see, Jesus, what Jesus is teaching us is that putting God in the first slot of love is the secret to unlocking the pleasures and the joys of all the gifts that God could give. It's about putting loves in their proper order. Remember, Jesus will say in the next couple chapters, chapters 5 and 6, a lot of things in his Sermon on the Mount. A lot of difficult things. He comes out of the desert from the temptation and he immediately begins preaching and his preaching is like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of doing what's right. Blessed are the persecuted. That doesn't sound like security. God is my refuge. The scriptures are my sustenance. That doesn't sound like God's going to give us overflow of blessings, of peace, joy it doesn't sound like God is generous at all it sounds like you know blessed are the persecuted don't store up treasures on earth but in heaven don't worry about your life what you'll consume or where how could Jesus say that 
We all worry about what we're going to wear. You probably thought about it this morning. We all worry about what we're going to eat and drink if we run out of money. We all worry about tomorrow, the test that's coming, the bill that needs paid. We can't help but worry about these things. And Jesus says, don't worry about them. But as soon as we start realizing that worrying about God first puts the other things in order, we find that we can worry about them in their proper place. We get our loves in order so that God is on the throne, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, seeking first God in everything so that we find pleasure not just in a waterfall or a book, but in the person who gave them to us generously. Have you ever had a moment when you were looking at something like a famous piece of art, a painting? I used the example in first service of that famous painting in the Louvre in Paris of the woman with the funny little smile. You you all know who I'm talking about? Mona Lisa, okay? And you go and you take these pictures in front of it and you're like, man, it's amazing. I can take a picture right in front of this famous ancient old painting and then somebody, they just want to rip your joy out from the middle and they say, Oh, so uh, they've got that world-famous painting one of a kind right out in the open, right out in the air, huh? The only thing that would keep you from jumping up there and snatching that painting that, by the way, has been stolen several times in history is a little rope. You know, you think that keeps people at back? What do you think that says about the painting? Must not be the original, huh? They just, they try to rip your heart out. And then Jeff Deloach sends me a text after church when there's glass around it, and he's like, I think it's the real one. <laughs> just, you know, But when we were there, there was no glass. Okay. The point is this. It matters to you because it's original and the artist painted it with their hand. And when you think that all of a sudden this is not the real thing in front of you, it's like, well, who wants to come all the way to see a replica? There's a chair in your house or a piece of furniture and it doesn't match any decor and you're like, let's throw it out. Let's get rid of it. It doesn't matter to us anymore. It doesn't match. And then your spouse says to you, but that is the chair that my mom sat in and nursed her babies and raised her children and had you know, your children, her grands on her lap. And you go, oh, that's right. It's so sentimental. It matters. We'll find a place for it. We do this all the time where the person that we love has given value to the thing that we keep. And when God gives you a waterfall or a s'more or enough food to get by for the day or you find your refuge in Him and that your hope is with the Scripture that He's given you, you'll find that in life you don't actually have to love anything less. This quote from Tim Keller comes from his book called Making Sense of God and he says, look, instead of loving things less, like I, I can't love you know, the pie, I can't love anything of the world, I can't love, no, love it because God has given it graciously. Learn to love God more. Put God in His proper seat. Remember that the tomb is empty and Jesus is on the throne. And what He's given you, He's given you generously from His hand and you will love other things with more satisfaction. I know no other way in philosophy, in humanism, in any of the religions that have been that promise a satisfaction like this one. Jesus said, seek first His kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Amen, church? Why don't we sing uh, this song together? 883 in the hymnal. I'm going to lead the first verse. 
And then uh, whenever I'm done with that, Ted's going to come up and, and continue leading the third verse, and we'll all stand and we'll have our invitation song. He's got one more song. So let's just sing this first verse and contemplate putting God in his rightful place in our life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Singing Alleluia. Watch not the remember the 